The Low Post is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to tell you about another great ESPN podcast, Brian Windhorst and the Hoop Collective. My buddies, they post episodes on Tuesdays and Friday mornings, bright and early. The NBA playoffs are coming. You may have heard that, so be sure to check it out. You can follow Brian Windhorst and the Hoop Collective as well as the Low Post, wherever you get your podcasts. And now, the Low Post. Welcome to the Low Post podcast on a Tuesday afternoon where we are about two and a half hours away from the NBA's first real non-bubble play-in tournament tipping off between the Charlotte Hornets and the Indiana Pacers. But we all know the headliner is tomorrow in Los Angeles where one team with legitimate championship aspirations, the defending champions in fact, is taking on a team with one of the people in the running for MVP and uh, a former dynasty in the mega play-in game between the Lakers and the Warriors and calling that on the scene in Los Angeles, the best in the business, one of the great coaches in basketball for Team USA right now and many other places. Jeff Van Gundy, how are you? Doing fine. Looking forward to the game tomorrow. Yeah, so how like you're in L.A., you're going to be at the game. There's going to be X amount of fans. I don't know how many they have. How how does like do you do you does it feel like this is an unusual game? Like do you does it feel like a finals game? Does it feel like a regular season game? Does it feel do you feel like a little a sense of like this is this is new or no? Yeah, I, you know, I think I'm gonna be interested. I think so much depends on the crowd, right? And I think uh it's one of the undersold things, like the advantages some teams may have with mo- more home court advantage. Uh, other teams much less. So I, I think, you know, there's very few fans going to be there tomorrow. I think 4,000, I think they're saying. Um, but I, I just think the Lakers are are too good defensively not to win, you know, one of these two games. Um, and and I'm just, I'm just interested. I'm just interested in what it feels like. I, I'm not a huge fan of the play-in. I love the play-in from uh, the bubble. I like that format better, but it's here. And uh, anytime there's elimination and, and tomorrow's obviously not an elimination, but when you have elimination um, closing in, uh, hopefully the play goes up, the urgency goes up, the intensity goes up, and hopefully the competition is great tomorrow. It feels, I, I just wonder what it's going to look like and sound like and feel like, because it's not game seven of the finals, but it has a lot of pressure on it. It should be it's, it should be more than like a game three of a blah first round series. It should be like I wonder if is LeBron going to play forty six minutes if they needed him to? Or are they going to treat it that way? I, I'm just very curious about all this stuff. Well, I would think yeah, you would play absolutely as many minutes as you need to to win. I think you know you've seen Curry go up in his minutes, uh, you know, to in the forties. I mean, I, I I would think you would you would play as like it is an elimination game. Um, the problem with that, obviously, is the team that doesn't win has to play, you know, 48 hours later in, in truly what is an elimination game. So, um, but I, I think both teams will um, have each other's attention for sure. And they know how dangerous each team is. I, I would think you'd play your guys elongated minutes. Now, what that means for James, how long he can really go right now after being off that long, I, I don't know. 
Let's talk about the matchup. Uh, strangely, it, in, in very broad terms, uh, similar teams in that uh, the Lakers actually finished 24th on offense and first on defense and in the season first on defense, which is really an incredible accomplishment for their whole team and their coaching staff, considering how much time LeBron and Anthony Davis missed. The Warriors are 20th on offense and fifth on defense. And we, we think of these players and their high powered scoring and, and the, what we've seen from Curry over the years. And these are really defense first teams. And yet those numbers, you almost throw them out the window to some degree because when LeBron and Anthony Davis are on the floor, they have a very good offense and they're plus 11 points per 100 possessions. And here's the number that's really interesting to me. With Steph and Draymond on the floor and no Wiseman, and I'm not doing this to pick on Wiseman. I'm just saying this is a thing. The Warriors for the season are plus 11 and a half per 100 possessions. That is an elite figure. And I bring it up because I think we have this conception that the Warriors have found this groove and it's like Curry and they're just kind of making it work with these cute guys like Wiggins is all right. Oh, whoa, Juan Toscano Anderson, he's doing stuff. And like they just profile is a really good team the way they're playing now. And that's not an indictment of Wiseman. It's just without him. And by the way, most rookie big men are not productive players. Without him, they can play a style that is more familiar to how they played when they were winning championships, they're just, they're just a good team. And, and the last thing I'll wrap before I go to you is the Lakers won the season series two one plus 55 scoring margin for the Lakers in those three games combined. Wiseman in this series was minus 51 by himself. So I, I just think the Warriors are a different team. The Lakers are going to be a different team. I think it, it could be a really fun game. What are you, what's the sort of, I, I don't know if it's an X's and O's thing or a big picture matchup thing. Like what, what is your going to be, what is your eye going to be on those first couple possessions? Well, I think, you know, the whole idea of, you know, I don't think Steph Curry can be guarded. Like the way he plays the movement off the ball, it's not the pick and roll defense. It's what he does after he moves it. Right. And, and I think what teams do oftentimes is they overreact to, to his scoring. He still finds a way to 30 to 35 to 40 points, and other guys get layups. So the first thing I would think of if I was the Lakers is I wouldn't think as much about what, how I was going to guard Steph Curry. I would think how, how am I going to guard to prevent layups, and how am I going to guard Draymond Green? What do I want to do with Draymond Green? both when he catches the ball beyond the three-point line um, as a pseudo point guard um, at the high post, and how do I want to guard him when he catches in the low post, which we know he's not trying to score, right? So both areas are where he's trying to make a scoring pass, either to Curry or to somebody off of a mistake that leads to a layup. And so um, – that, if I was the Lakers, that's, I'm interested in how they guard Green. And then secondarily, at the other end, with Davis and Drummond, I would think a lot about how do I expose Drummond's lack of shooting to make it harder for Green? Uh, you might bring out the, the old front and back, which we haven't seen since teams don't post and they don't, you know, but the, like the after free throw play where they always post Davis. If Drummond's in the game, forget that. I'm going to be in front of in front of Davis and behind Davis with Drummond's man. So 
Uh, those are the things that I'm interested in. Um, and really, who do the Lakers play at the center position? Do they go back to playing some Davis there? Do they play Harold? Do they play Gasol? You know, are they all in on Drummond? You know, I, I, I think that position isn't as good as it was last year for the Lakers. I, I think you, you nailed some of the big issues. So I, I'm assuming they will start Drummond just because that's what they've been doing. Uh, in which case, Anthony Davis will probably guard Draymond Green, which which he can do a lot of things from from there. I mean, he can he can blitz Curry, he can come up to the level of the screen when they run pick and roll, and not you don't worry about him getting exposed in those situations. Um, but the Warriors, when they take out Looney, they're really really dynamic. Like these lineup, like Kent Bazemore is shooting well from three. Juan Toscano Anderson is just a good basketball player. He's a good passer. He's a good cutter. Like they get really really dynamic, and that will be tough. For Drummond, it'll be tough for Gasol. It'll be tough for Harrell. And I do think we'll see some Davis at five in the game. If not, it, it may be even um, heavy, heavy chunks of Davis at five. But then it's part of the Lakers' advantage is I, I'm interested to see those Drummond minutes are going to be so interesting because the Lakers are a really good offensive rebounding team when they're big. The Warriors are a bad defensive rebounding team. The Lakers are a big free throw team and the Warriors foul to the second most of all teams. So there is a path where the Lakers... Like when Drummond is in the game, can they, for those minutes, can they just bludgeon them when Looney is in the game and, and not get exposed defensively because Looney's also in the game? Um, it, can they bludgeon them and sort of play that smash mouth style? But I, I, I agree with you. I think Davis at five is, it's a look we haven't seen this year. We know it's their trump card. And I, I think it makes a lot of sense when they, when the Warriors take Looney off the floor. Yeah. I'm going to be interested in, uh, what Steve decides to do and how long, how many minutes he feels he's, he needs to get from Looney. I, I think you could make a case for matching Looney's minutes, not with Drummond though. I, I could see you making a case for Looney's minutes going to Gasol and, and trying to make them guard Draymond Green with Drummond, you know, and putting, you know, Davis on somebody else. And then, you know, Green still guards Davis. I would not be, you know, Drummond's a historically great rebounder. I think people overlook that, like historically great. But at the same time, you're operating in, in a one-game scenario. Can you make the Lakers blink first? And, and, and I think it's, it's going to be so interesting um, how the game is played out and where Davis plays and with who. The Lakers also, to their credit, guarded Curry well in the three games. The only, only average 23 game on 42% shooting, 35% from three. Schroeder is pretty good. Now, Schroeder just came back from health and safety protocols, looked decent in his return. Um, he's pretty good at sort of skittering around picks and doing all the stuff you need to do to be a reasonable. I mean, no, as you said, Curry is unguardable, but you're just looking for how do I minimize the pain? How do I minimize the mistakes? How do I minimize the, the, the number of times he catches with an open window? He's pretty good at that. Caruso's pretty good at it. He played the last game. Wes Matthews is not built for that, but I do think it's potentially important for the Lakers that Wes Matthews found his footing in the last couple of weeks of the season because he could be an important player for them. And that's why this game is so important to me. Like, I think the, you can tell me if you disagree. I think the Warriors are a good team that if they got into the real playoffs could win a round in the right matchup. Though I think Utah, Utah would 
be a tough matchup for them. If that's what it ended up being, Phoenix, we'll see. And probably go out after that. I don't know. We'll see how the matchups work. The Lakers obviously are trying to win the championship and are such a huge threat that half the league was tanking on the last day of the season to avoid playing them. And not only that, everyone's focused on LeBron and how healthy LeBron is and AD and how healthy AD is. Look, AD looks pretty good. LeBron, I, I nobody knows his body better than LeBron. And no coach in the postseason field knows LeBron and knows how LeBron knows his body better than Ty Lue. And Ty Lue's team did everything they could to duck LeBron in the first round. That tells me that I don't think anybody is, should be super excited about playing the Lakers now versus playing the Lakers later. And then you bet Caruso's back, Wes is back, Schroeder's back. Like there's a universe where the Lakers are rounding into form almost at the right time. And if they somehow lose this game and are on the brink of elimination, my God, would that be great theater? This whole thing is going to be great theater. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Well, going back to the Curry and the matchups, I, I think what the Lakers accomplished defensively uh, this year uh, was tremendous. And uh, I, again, uh, Frank uh, Vogel is not one to pat himself on the back, but he, he did, I thought, a remarkable job holding it all together in uh, really hard times. So I think Schroeder is, uh, he can chase Curry. Um, like you said, Caruso, Caldwell Pope. I think they have some guys that it's, you, you never have the advantage over Curry, but you have guys who are disciplined and they're big, you know, like they've got a big team to make it harder where they're not reckless, that they're disciplined defensively. Now the regular season, doesn't mean anything though that like I one thing that I, I I learned early in my NBA career summer league has nothing to do with regular season regular season has nothing to do with the playoffs and the playoffs have nothing to do with what's happening in the finals right so it's like all those things every time you go up a level like don't try to draw off of you can you you got to think about how you want to guard people, how you want to score. But if you guarded somebody well in the, or you defended them well as a group in the regular season, that doesn't mean there's going to be carryover to the playoffs. So I think we all have to be careful about how much we try to extrapolate from regular season games. Curry averaged 23 on, what did you say, 42%. Guess what? 
Frank Vogel is in his office right now, banging that his head into the wall, thinking about everything that could go wrong tomorrow, trying to guard this guy, even if they do it well, because that's how dangerous Curry is. He can beat good defense. Oh, I mean, look, the last time we saw him on the playoff stage, he almost beat the Raptors, like kind of not by himself because Draymond was still there. But, he, you know, people forget that game six in Golden State was down to the wire. And I can tell you for sure, everybody in Toronto was absolutely petrified about facing that team in a game seven in the finals. Curry, Curry is that good. We're talking a lot about Curry and the Warriors offense and the Lakers defense. And I agree with you. It's really for the Lakers to finish number one in defense. Like, I'm not even really sure how that happened because, because by consensus, by far, their two best defenders were guys that were injured for huge chunks of the season. And here they are at number one. And their other players are all just good, good defenders. They play really hard. And Frank Vogel, from day one, he walked in there and said, we're being a defense first team. That's it. And, and a lot of coaches say that, and it doesn't take – I don't know what happened there. I mean, when you have your two best players buy in, that I guess that's all that needs to happen. Everybody else buys in. But I think it's – I think it, we all get accused of sort of over-lakering it in the media, especially now with LeBron there. I actually don't think enough has been made of how amazing it is that they finished with the number one defense in the league. Well, I think a couple things on that. I think you're right. It starts with the commitment of the best players, knowing how you're going to win, but they've done, and I don't think Rob Palenka has gotten nearly enough credit for putting pieces around their best players that fit in to the vision of Frank Vogel. So right. Caruso, Wes Matthews, Morris is tough, even though he doesn't play a lot. Gasol has slowed down considerably, but smart and tough and big. So I think they've done that. And then they are experienced and they're big, like they are big. And I think sometimes we think small ball instead of versatility ball, like, like small ball, small does not win playoff series or playoff, you know, the whole thing versatility with size now that wins it gives you a chance to win and so like to me that's what they've done exceptionally well I think their roster fits the vision of their coach the coach does a great job uh in implementing a a a system and but it's not really scheme I mean scheme's important but commitment is more important to me he's drawn out of them uh the commitment that they have because Listen, no matter what we want to say, I know we always throw numbers around now. This guy is the first guy to average 40 and 10 and 20 and 30 in a 30 day period. I mean, I hate all these stats we bring up now, but like the thing that we all know is defense gives you an opportunity to win in the playoffs. Let me you ask you about that. Let me, let, yeah, let you me ask score, you about that. But you can win. You got to You got to guard to win. Windhorse had a piece about this today. Um, I don't know if you saw it on ESPN. About, I did. Yeah, a, a, about how, and for people who didn't see it, about how this has been a record-breaking offensive season and this debate within the league sort of crystallized around Brooklyn of, well, it does, you know, traditionally in the playoffs, offense goes down a little bit, pace goes down a little bit, defense becomes a little bit more of the focus of, you, you know, how you win. And there's this debate like, is that even still the case? It's not quite asking the question 
does defense still matter? Everyone agrees it matters. I do think it's asking the question, does defense matter as much? Or are these offenses just so good and so empowered by the rules that defense is, in fact, less important now than offense? What, what did you think of that piece? Where are you on that? Like, how, how, is, how is the game changed in that regard, if at all? Yeah, no, see, I don't think it's changed. I, th- I think the game has changed. But I think, the, I think Spolster, I think, had a quote in there. Um, it's relative, but defense is still, you know, is, is important. I mean, so how you view defense, like, you know, the, the high scoring, you know, if you're number one in defense, you're probably giving up a ton more efficiency than 10 years ago. You might've been last with the same number, but it's all, it's all relative to who you play. So, um, you know, defense is extremely important. How you play it scheme wise. Like, I think you do have to have versatility. I think you have to have size that can do different things. And I know in today's game more than ever before, Dumb and inexperienced gets you beat. So you you cannot trot out a dumb team at either end. Like you have to be able to make decisions as the game is going uh, fast, and you've got to adapt and adjust individually and as a team. And not I'm not talking coaching adjustments. I'm talking just because you know what's going on, like how you're getting hurt, who's hurting you, what you got to change you know, before you have to take a timeout. I, I do think the Lakers being a veteran smart team is important in this matchup, particularly because the Warriors, the Warriors get a lot of good looks because they play differently than other teams and inexperienced teams with less of a defensive identity and IQ just don't know how to defend those split actions, the crisscrossing, the it seems random. There's no pattern to it. The Lakers are going to be mostly into like the Warriors are going to have to work harder to get open on those plays. The Lakers aren't just going to give them mistakes. Yeah. I think I don't even think a Brooklyn championship this year, like let's say Brooklyn, it ranks eighth in defense among playoff teams or 10th in defense among playoff teams. That seems you know, like average-ish and wins the championship because they have an elite offense. That doesn't like invalidate the importance of defense to me if that's indeed what happens. It shows that even a team like that with those three guys, the third best player on the team just finished 50, 40, 90 for the season. With those three guys, even they are going to have to hit a baseline of defensive competency to win the title. Like, I don't think they can be last in defense and win the title. I think they know that. I think... They know they have to rebound. They know they have to play defense. Even that team with that level of skill is not going to be able to half-ass on defense or be terrible on defense and win the championship. Or if they are, then then, then they're just that good offensively. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I think two things. A, I think I don't think they're that bad defensively. I, they I, haven't been the last month or two. I I uh, I think uh, you know they've done they've done a competent job. Like. And I'm interested in who they play as well in the playoffs. I, I think uh, around those three guys, you know, are they going to play DeAndre Jordan and or Blake Griffin or Claxton and how? And I think what they've built in because they've played, they're not constrained starting lineup wise. Like he's he, like, to me, they're going to start four guys. They're three guys and Joe Harris. And the fifth guy is going to be up in the air. And because they've done it all year, 
it's not going to be a shock to anybody if somebody goes from starter to not playing. I think that's interesting. I think uh, I've really been intrigued by what uh, Steve Nash has done there. Um, but I don't think they're going to be 16th in defense and win the championship. I, I don't. I, I think you're going to see a team that's historically good on offense. And they're, like you said, the word, they don't have to be great. They have to be competent. And I think because they're experienced, they will play competent defense. Um, obviously, Bruce Brown's gotten a lot of attention. Claxton, so I was looking up my defensive, defensive player of the year research. They, you know, all this, I know this, this fancy tracking data we have measures, you know, when a defender is contesting a shot or the, is the closest to the guy shooting, how much do those offensive players underperform their, what we would expect they would shoot based on where the shot is, who the players Claxton was number one on the list among like biggest negative differentials. I don't know if that means anything, but he looked, it, it matches certainly what I've seen. And I also think the unsung, I mean, he's not unsung in Brooklyn, but Jeff green has been sensational for them on both, on both ends of the floor has been absolutely sensational. And what a, what an interesting career arc for him to be sort of overhyped probably the wrong word, but you know, there was a moment where it's like, is he going to be part of the big three or whatever in Oklahoma city goes to Boston has the heart condition is kind of lost in the wilderness started to rebuild himself a little bit on that Cavs team that made the finals. Uh, he's just become a absolutely perfect role player at the end of his career. It's really, he's got a really interesting NBA story. He really does the longevity. And also it just shows you if somehow through all the selfish selfishness that we promote in the league, right? If you can stay unselfish and you can give to your team and your teammates and play a style that is for your team, you, you have a chance to always play pretty good basketball. And like Jeff Green, like, was he overdrafted as five? I think his career would tell you yes. Right. You're hoping for a star there. Did he turn out to be a star? No. Do you think Brooklyn cares? No. Like they have a really good compliment because he knows how to play basketball. He knows how to guard in this league. He knows how to pass. He can handle, he can cut, he makes enough shots. And I think, you know, that's where Blake Griffin, uh, he's undervalued right now because, you know, he's not what he once was, but I'll tell you what, he can pass, he can shoot. He'll step in front of people and, and, and take charges, and he gives you versatility. So uh, I think Sean Marks has done a remarkable job, obviously assembling the big three that they have is, like, amazing. But he's also done a really good job of putting, you know, good complementary players around his better three players. Um, let's get back to this game because I just couldn't be hyped enough for this game. It's just the, the it's so fitting that the biggest play-in game – in this first year where it's, this is everyone sort of like, this is a thing is LeBron and Steph, because so much of the last 10 to whatever years of NBA history involves those guys going head to head on the biggest stage. And, and here they are again. Um, hey, can I interrupt you right there for one sec though? Can you imagine everybody who's for the play in game? If one of those two happens to get eliminated, you're going to see a turn like, what a stupid idea. <laughs> the TV partners in particular, because they will just lose ratings out the wazoo. So I'm just saying. Well, let you know what, though? I said, I've said this before. I, I just, 
let's say the Lakers go out. Like, I think the Warriors going out, the TV partners, you know, we both have to raise our hand for that. The TV partners would probably not be psyched about that. But I don't think there's an expectation that the Warriors, there wasn't even necessarily an expectation that the Warriors would make the playoffs. If the Lakers go out, you're absolutely right that there will be a turning on the play-in. And my thing is, I think the NBA has to be prepared for that and hold steady. Because if you let that get you off this idea, which I think is a good idea. Now, you and I may disagree on the play-in. I think the play-in is a no-brainer. I love it. We do. Okay. If you are so weak that the Lakers failing to make the playoffs and the backlash from that makes you moonwalk away from the idea, then you never cared about the idea in the first place. You have to let it, you have to have some staying power. It reminds me of like, well, we have to make the playoffs or the coach is getting fired. Oh, we missed by a tiebreaker because of a buzzer shot. And that's the difference between the coach is really good and we want to keep him and the coach stinks and we want to fire him. You either like the idea or you don't. And I think the Lakers, I think the Lakers are going to win tomorrow. And so this will all be moot. But that's just my spiel. Yeah. I don't no, even know what the hell I was saying now. No, no, no. I, I'm just saying I I I agree with you. I, I did like the idea that you could play yourself out of the play-in by um, beating a team by so many games like they had last year uh, in the play-in. Agreed. To, to, I wish there was a way to make that a, a real yeah, to part of value it. value to the regular season more. Um, but and, that wouldn't apply this year, I don't – it wouldn't apply. All these teams are, are in play-in range. There's no yeah, Dallas. Right. Like last year, Dallas was seven by a million games over eight. Yeah. I just – you know, and no one really cares about this. I just – be, having gone through it, um, like you work, you're involved. You get not. I'm not saying the people covering it, the fans, the league, they don't know what it's like to play this year 72 or 82 games and 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 qualify by one or two games, right? I know the league doesn't care, the fans don't care about equality. I, having lived it, I do, and that's why I. You know, the wild card worked out great in baseball. This will probably work out well from a fan basis. Like, uh, I think the uh, the interest is high. I I do. So why not extend it to the sixth and fifth seeds as well? Oh, boy. Why not? Let, let's right. just, like, let's, like, say if you don't have home court, we're going to create interest. Now we're going to have, what, I don't know, 12 teams. You know, one issue you and I are aligned on, and I sometimes I feel like we're the only two voices screaming from the wilderness about this, and I'm never going to stop screaming, and you're not either, is that we just got to get rid of the transition clothesline Euro foul, whatever you want to call it. I, I'm never, I don't care if I sound like an old man yelling at a cloud, I'm not stopping until they get rid of it. I, I First of all, I just don't understand why we want it in the game. We want transition baskets we have a, what I think is a silly rule, the clear path rule, right? I, I think it's silly. There's nobody, still nobody understands. They change it every three years. Nobody yeah. understands it. And the rest, like the, no one, the announcers don't understand it. So if he's a little bit ahead of me, if you take the foul, not only do you get to shoot two free throws, you also get the ball out, all right? But six inches behind that, I can take the foul. You don't get any free throws. And and you just get the ball out unless you're in the penalty. Like, it's, it's so disparate, the penalties. It, it makes no sense. And here's the thing. In Europe, they've eliminated the take foul. 
The euro fell. The euro in Europe. In Europe, they, they eliminated the euro fell. They invented it and they hate it. And 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 like to me, it goes back to what used to be called intentional fouls in college. And like, well, we want to take decision making out of the referee's hands. If you want to take decision making out of the referee's hands, you got the wrong officials. Get rid of them. Find guys that can make decisions. That'd be like saying, I want to take decision-making out of the point guard's hands or the quarterback's hands in football. No, are you kidding me? So you know what's an intentional foul, and it should be penalized like the clear path rule. And I cannot, for the life of me, for the life of me, understand why the NBA wants that play in our game. I keep hearing while well, we're discussing it on the competition, but can I be in the discussion? What is that discussion like? What do we need a PowerPoint presentation about how much this sucks? Like, I don't like, what is the discussion? I don't understand. I, I, I have no idea how long that would discussion would take. Uh, hello. Uh, who wants to nominate? That's a stupid play that we want to eliminate. All hands should go up. Like, like it's, it's automatic. I, I just, I don't get it. It's not good basketball. When fouling becomes some, like, strategy, like, that's why I hate the foul, like, away from the ball. Like, I want to get intentional fouling out of the game. Now, can you be smart and still foul? Yes. I love smart play. I don't just love grabbing a guy and saying that's a smart play. End of rant. Uh, I just, I hope you never, I, I want you every time it happens in one of your games to, to yell about it because I just, the, the NBA hears you and they hear me, but not as much as they hear you and they care. And I, I, you need to shame them into getting rid of this. Okay. <laughs> I wish I had that power. Yeah. Lakers warriors. We've talked a lot about Steph with the ball, about the importance of Draymond as a, as a scorer, you know, I, cause I do think the Lakers will just say anybody but Steph, right? So Draymond's going to have to get you 11 Bazemore is going to have to get some threes whatever Wiggins may have to hit some straight jumper and Wiggins has been playing really well the last 20 or 30 games what are you looking for when the Lakers have the ball you mentioned the sort of not the spacing issues but just the sort of double post-up thing they have going on when AD and Drummond are in the game but what else are you looking for when the Lakers have the ball well if if to start the game if I'm playing Anthony Davis and he faces up like you know in that like off the block, face up, um, where his length, you know, I, I'm not letting him play in that game. Um, I, I'm going to come and get him. I, I don't necessarily think the Lakers are a great shooting team. Obviously, again, that exposes your you to more rotations and offensive rebounds. But um, like when you're in this type of situation and you're, you know, playing one game, like – I think you have to play play the percentages. And to me, the percentages are I can't have Draymond Green in foul trouble and I can't have Anthony Davis going off. So I am going to, like, early, I'm going to protect Draymond Green from himself, from fouls, and I'm trying to get the ball out of Davis's hands. Um, and plus, I think, you know, the Lakers, a lot of their their guys haven't played a lot late, lately. Schroeder, James. Caruso. Um, could they three ball me to a loss? Absolutely. The more likely scenario is they bludgeon me with their size to a win. So uh, I'm again, I'm interested in what uh, Steve decides to do, how he decides to play Davis. You know, James, 
there's really no, you know, you're just playing them. It's not like there's a strategy. You're just got to play them. And I think Wiggins, and you mentioned this, Wiggins, when he was in Minnesota as their third best player behind Butler and Towns, he was pretty good. Here, he's their third best player. Next year, he'll be their fourth best player. He'll be even better. So I, 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 I've been, again, you can't judge Wiggins through the lens of being the number one pick. Judge him for actually how he's playing and he's improved his shooting. He's going to have to come up with a good game tomorrow. Like you said, it can't be a 15-point game. He's going to have to probably get, you know, north of 22, 23. And uh, can he do it? Absolutely. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them, you name it. They won't find a satellite dish, but you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went. You know, I watched that Pacers-Lakers game the other day when they had everybody for the first time, and you started to see the vision with Drummond for really the first time. LeBron ran a bunch of spread pick and roll with Drummond and AD spotting up. And yeah, you don't want AD to just be a spot-up guy, but they got good looks every time because Drummond rolling to the rim is still a threat if LeBron is dribbling with them, and they got open threes out of it. So I'll be interested in that. And just part of the reason why in a one-game scenario it's just hard to pick against LeBron is because – you know, he's going to slow the pace and he's going to just sort of take control of the game and be chess master. And it's been a while. I'm. It's going to be nostalgic when LeBron calls up Steph's man for a pick and forces Steph into a pick and roll situation where he's got a hedge or switch. And if it's a switch, it's an emergency. Like we saw that for four finals in a row. We get to see it again on a big stage. Um, how are the Warriors going to handle that? And then to me, the ultimate test of, like, is LeBron concerned is when he starts posting up. And I'll never forget. Remember that year? I think it was 2018 where Indiana took them to seven games. And it, like, was not a very good Pacers team. It shouldn't have been a seven-game series. In game seven, LeBron finally was like, I'm posting up every single time because these guys can't do anything to me. And Wiggins, whoever you put on him, other than Draymond Green, and we'll see how much we see that matchup, he can play bully ball against all of those guys. And I'm interested to see if he feels threatened enough to do it and when. 
I mean, you make a good point. Like he's, I know this, you can't give great players everything. So you, you can't let them score 30 and then get, you know, Tennessee. Like they, I think the Warriors have to make their choice first on the spread pick and roll. Obviously you can't let James shoot layups and you can't let Drummond dunk it. Right. So if you're going to get beat, you can't be caught halfway. Like that ball sprays out to Anthony Davis or Caruso or, Hey, and that beats you. So be it. But you've got to take away the basket. It's the same way with James posting up when he gets to a certain depth, you can't just sit there and say, Hey, Wiggins, hold your ground. The no, guy is what? Like 260. I don't Wiggins know. Will, Wiggins will be in the basket. Right. At a certain time. And you don't want James to be able to pick you apart with his passing. I understand that. But there are some situations when he's backing you down that you just have no choice. I mean, remember when uh, Love and uh, Kyrie Irving were hurt and he posted like 99 times uh, a game in game two uh, when they beat the Warriors to even it up? I mean, they went up 2 1 in that series just playing LeBron completely controlling the pace and exactly. controlling the caught it and just you know back in back in and they had some three-point shooting around him right but and offensive rebounding that was the other thing if he misses we're sending mozgov and tristan thompson to the boards always good when a mozgov could be thrown into a podcast <laughs> but 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 you're right about the and the offensive rebounding you know when every time you double you know you're exposing yourself to threes drives off of rotation second shots but when he if he backs in at some point you have to come you just have to are you going to pick a winner i'm picking the lakers to win are you willing to pick a winner do you not want to pick a winner I don't pick winners but like i i would be shocked if the lakers didn't win okay. i mean they're there's if they're whole and healthy they're dangerous I love the year Steph Curry and the Warriors have had. I, I think it's been – it inspires me to see a guy move, be in A, great condition, and B, be willing to play in a different manner. Our league is so predictable now in the, you know, pick and rolls, five out. This guy just passes, moves. And they – you mentioned it. Juan Toscano, Andrew, like, like he knows how to play basketball, like – they screen for him. And, and I love the development of pool. Like pool, isn't it? Like, obviously he's not as good as Curry, but he plays now. Similarly, you have to have somebody who's willing to move without the ball to have a, a good chance against the size that the Lakers bring. I mean, you can't play stationary um, basketball against the Lakers. You've got to move their size. And so I, I'm just so impressed with what Curry's done um, I know everybody talks about MVP. I know this. You can't be more valuable to your team than Steph Curry is to the Warriors. Does that mean he should win the award? I'm not saying that. I, I don't vote for those things. I leave that to others. But I know this. You can't be more valuable in not just offensive ways, but how he approaches the game, how much he cares. Uh, and so I, I can't see the Lakers losing tomorrow, but – like Steph Curry's that good that if you're Steve Kerr and you're his teammates, you feel like you have a chance every night, no matter who you play. Yeah. To, to your point, as someone who's picking the Lakers, I think on ESPN's, you know, we all made our picks. I think 16 out of 17 people picked the Lakers. Only Nick Tapalo, our, our shoe guy, was 
was brave enough to pick the Warriors. I think that's hold on, too hold on, many- hold on, hold on. What's a shoe guy? Sneaker guy, sneaker industry guy, covers the sneaker industry for us, among many other things. He's very good. No, I'm not saying that. I didn't know we had a sneaker guy. We do. Wow. Um, it, and he picked the Warriors. He also knows the game very well. He picked the Warriors. I'm just saying the spread, I think people are sleeping on how good the Warriors have been since they leaned into sort of the old Warrior style. Like I, if you told me the spread was 12-4, I'd be like, all right, that makes sense. 15-1 or 61 surprised me. But also, Give me what- too, one thing, they were playing eight guys too. Like that was a big factor. When you sure. narrow your rotation, you mentioned it with Wiseman. And again, this is not anything, th- this is just facts. The numbers you, you talked you know, you don't have to apologize. They're, they're facts. Like, that's just facts. Like, you know, you can dispute opinions. You can get your feelings hurt by opinions. But facts are facts, right? When they've gone to eight guys and they've narrowed it and they've upped Curry's minutes, up Green's minutes, um, upped Wiggins. You know, Wiggins could all, always has been a workhorse, like durable workhorse. I mean, he can really play big minutes. Like, they're, that makes them better. And so, like – 15-1, you know, like, or whatever it was that you said, like, it's not surprising because that's how I think the respect that James and the Lakers um, garner. But I would suspect that if it's close in the end, nothing is putting more fear into you right now than that Steph Curry can make three incredible shots down the stretch to pull out, you know, a tight game. I'm going 108 108- 103 Lakers. That's my that's my official score. But I never make score predictions. Why not? You're going to be wrong. You might as well just have fun. 108, yeah. 103. I would say it's going to be a big. I I think it's going to be uh, a pretty a, a cruise to victory in the fourth for the Lakers. But um, again, I hate saying that because I have such respect for the Warriors um, and Curry. I just. Man, I, I just think the guy is... What should I do if it's actually 108 to 103? I think you should ask for a raise. <laughs> I do. Like, you should go in, and I would say this. Um, the gentleman's name, Nick DiPaolo, if he's the one guy that picks the Warriors and they win, he should go in for the raise. Fair. Uh, give they me two minutes on what's your... what money to you. you this should, if you make it, hit it right, this should lead for to money for you. Okay, I look... I, I don't – I can't disagree with that. Give me two minutes on uh, – we have four first-round series that are already set. What's the one you're most excited for? I want to see the Clippers and the, and the Mavs. You know, I think um, – I, I love watching uh, Doncic play. I think Tim Hardaway is so important to them. Uh, I'm interested in what lineups uh, uh, Rick Carlisle decides. And then I really want to see – the Clippers, I, you know, they've had a terrific regular season. I don't know who they're going to play. I'm so interested in who they're going to rotate, how they're going to rotate in a playoff series. Um, has all their talk is all the talk of them, like caring more, invested more, better communication. If it's true, like I, you know, I think the regular season because they're so good and so talented. I think the Nets have by far the most talented team in the East. The Clippers have by far the most talented team in the West. Like I want to see what it translates to. Cause I think they're really, I mean, if they're together and they're healthy, I think the Clippers are the real deal. And yet, you know, Luka Doncic, like 
they're dangerous. They're dangerous because of him. I love that series. I, I think two things. Number one, logic, just logic points you to the Clippers. Like if you, if you had, if you asked a robot predict who wins the West, the robot would say, well, the jazz and the Suns, Yeah. I'm a, you know, I think there's reasons to be skeptical, not that they're paper tigers, but that maybe they're 5% worse in the playoffs than they are in the regular season, 10% worse, whatever, because of their style experience, whatever you want. Lakers injured, recovering Jamal Murray injured. That hurts the nuggets. Yeah. It sh- should be, should be Clippers should be Clippers baggage and all. Maybe the robot doesn't know about the baggage. I don't know. Robots have, you know, I don't know how emotionally intelligent robots are these days. Um, and, and then the Clippers tanked the last game of the season or the last two actually to avoid the Lakers. Now, maybe they did that just to avoid the Lakers and whoever they got in the first round, that was collateral damage. If they did it thinking we don't hate this Mavs matchup or we like the Mavs matchup better than the Blazers, I think they're underestimating the Mavs. If the Mavs are healthy and that's Kleva who's had Achilles soreness and it was their primary guy on Kawhi last year. Um, and obviously Porzingis and a couple other guys have been nicked up here and there. If they're healthy. I think they have a chance to win that series. I think that's going to be a competitive series. I think my pick is going to be Clippers in seven, but I think the Mavs are dangerous. Luca is incredible. We saw what he did to the Clippers last year. They have more shooting, more defensive options this year. They can put out some pretty potent lineups. And like, I wouldn't be looking at that as they may win four one in five close games or something, but that is not a walkover for the Clippers. I think the Mavs have a shot in that series. Yeah, I think the Clippers are clearly, you know, the most talented team in the West. I don't I think your robot would be right. I think anything besides them winning the West will surprise me. You know, I'm not saying shock me if the Lakers won or, you know, I'm not saying shock me, but it would surprise me. Frankly, it surprised me last year, too. I thought they were the best team. I think the robot would have said the same thing last year. I, I picked them last year. Yeah. So I'm interested. I think with the Doncic thing. Doncic in the pick and roll, you have to have defensive versatility where you can switch because the drop, his size is so great. His vision is so great. And they shoot, you know, they have a bunch of shooting around him. And so, you know, do, who do they play? You know, how do they guard the pick and roll? Um, And then how can he punish the inevitable switches that take place? Is it all on the step back three? Um, because he can get that off anytime he wants. What percentage he shoots, we'll see. Um, or can he still puncture their defense with some dribble penetration? I, I think it's an intriguing series. I, I think uh, I'm so interested, you know, I mean, for Dallas uh, to have this matchup in the five is, it seems cruel, but hey, in the West, it's no joke. Like You lived it, coach. You lived yeah. it. It's, it's hard, and I, it's not changing anytime soon. All right. Well, enjoy Los Angeles. Enjoy the game. I hope to cross paths with you soon now that I am vaccinated and maybe can travel a little bit. Um, it's always good to catch up, even by Zoom. Jeff Van Gundy, there's nobody better. Enjoy the game and keep railing on the Eurofell. Don't worry about that. We're in alignment. All right. Take care, Zach. <laughs> Thanks, Coach. Thanks, Coach.